millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. How are you? Good, and welcome all to a chapter of my life with historian and author Wayne Barton. Today, we're going to be talking about Wayne's new book, Pure Genius, about a pure genius, George Best. But before we get into that, Wayne, let's talk about your background and your back catalogue. <laughs> yeah, where do you want to start? <laughs> I want you to start at the beginning because I've seen a lot of stuff from you. You've written so many great things and you also do a podcast with a journalist legend, Paddy Barclay, as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, my first book was published in 2012. I was lucky enough to work with Brian Greenoff, um, the former United Defender. And from there, really, my um, my opportunities for writing books sort of opened many doors uh, from that moment because working with Brian, I, I got in touch with Gordon Hill. I was obviously in touch with Tommy Doherty because Tommy did the foreword for that book. And so I've had so those opportunities sort of came along like that. And then I, I was able to sort of write a couple of books under my own name, you know, because publishers were, were, were interested in what I had to say. Um, and yeah, it just sort of moved from there. And in the last few years, I felt like it's been like a, a thing that I've been building up really. Like I, earlier on, I didn't really want to take on too many big, massive projects. For example, most recently I've, I've, I've written about Eric Cantona yeah. and, and David Beckham and, and as you say, George. And I felt earlier on that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have, not so much the experience because I'm a United fan, but like sort of like the right context to tell the different stories and, and to bring something new to the table. You, I know people can write more than one book, but generally when you write a biography on someone, you get one chance to do it properly. And so my sort of thinking has always been to try and do it justice when you get that chance. So um, it's basically been sort of working along to get to this point, really, and I feel like I can do those stories justice. And most of the time, I still need to be convinced. It was one of my best friends who told me that um, the time, you know, because I'd always want, you know, I meant like any United fan who, who writes anything, I, I'd like to write books on every everything to do with the club's history. So, yeah. um, so it was one of my friends who actually said to me, you should write that book on George now. Um, and you know I did, um, and yeah, that's where we are. Basically, it's um, been a bit of a journey um, and a proper indulgence because I am a fan, and being able to talk to to um, former players and managers of of my club is just um, a dream, really. It certainly is. So, how long ago did your pal say 
write that book about George. How long has it taken you to write this masterpiece? And it's a big book. It's got a lot of pages. And it, it's his entire career. And does it focus on just George, the playing side of George? Or does it look at the other side of George best? Because there's many facets to the greatest footballer that's ever walked on these British Isles, George Best. Yeah, um, good question. Uh, in terms of how long it's taken, like I said, I, I've been interviewing people for years. So whenever I, I do interviews, um, if it's with um, a big figure, um, I try and get as much information as I can. For, I interview them about different things. So I've got interviews with Brian, who's since passed, and Ari Gregg, who's since passed. Um, you know, I talked to them about George, and they had some great stories. Um, with the thought that one day I'm going to write a book on George. Yeah. So it might have been maybe a couple of years ago now. My friend said to me, you know, you should, you should finally get this together, you know, and start writing that book properly. Um, and yeah, it just sort of happened like that. And then when I pitched it to my publisher, he just sort of said, uh, "Well, it's his 75th birthday, yeah. um, so like, let's." push it out for that you know um, this year obviously it's his 75th birthday um so yeah that's how you know everything takes a long time when it's something that's this big you you know the stories don't appear overnight i just i've had one of the stories in the book is one of the biggest stories in united history and i've had that for maybe four or five years and you know when you've got a story like that that's never been told before you have a temptation to sort of like run out and tell people it um or use it at the right time um, when it will have the biggest impact. And um, so that's what I decided to do. I, I knew I was going to save it for a book on George. I just didn't know when that book was going to come. Um, it is one, uh, That's uh, the second part of that is when could I have added something um, to the library of many books about George yeah. that it would be different. And with this one, um, it was basically just a case of well, the thing that I could do that's different is a book about George, the footballer. Um, the, I mean, there are some great books about him and obviously very entertaining stories of things that aren't necessarily to do with football. But um, there was just a, a gap there. Um, if you look at it for this uh, this way, for example, there's a, a book on his time at Hibernian in Scotland, yeah. a full book on his time there. So there's obviously like a plethora of stories to, to sort of cover a, a full career in, in just his playing career. And I felt that that was the one thing that was missing, uh, especially because George himself said, remember me for my football. And um, so that, that's kind of the kind of ethos I was taking with it, you know, just talk about his football. Um, you can't avoid everything because it would be negligent to pretend that some of the stuff didn't exist. But I have sort of addressed it in um, the context of a football career. Um, which I don't think has been done this way before. And I'm really proud of it. I mean, it is, it's one for football lovers, this book. You know, it is really intensive um, to do with his football. And um, I, I've interviewed over 30 people for it, and they've all spoke, you know, with such passion about that football inside of him. Um, so it's very, very minimal um, that he strays away from that. Did you ever meet George? No, I wasn't lucky enough to, but um, I've talked to his family at length um, to tell them what I was doing, you know, in a lot of contact quite often with Callum 
and and with Ian, so uh, his brother and you know his, his sisters as well. I've talked to a couple of them. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those unfortunate that I, I didn't. Um, you know, I would have loved to have done, um, but you know, it just didn't happen. Now, when you say George's playing career, George didn't just play for Manchester United, but he was largely recognised as being the greatest player on the planet whilst playing for Manchester United. You referenced Hibernian. He also played at Fulham. He also scored one of the greatest goals that we've ever seen when uh, when he played in America, didn't he, for uh, San Jose Earthquakes uh, against Fort Lauderdale, one of his former clubs in July 1981. But, you know, George... I've I've heard many references of George and talked to many uh, pals of mine that that, that played with and against George and George just had everything, didn't he? He was a he was a beacon for for everything, whether that was column inches in papers or Miss Worlds. Yeah, no, he was. You're yeah. right in saying to say that, and he was. Um, it's funny that. Um... Yeah, he was the greatest in the world when he was at United, and everything yeah. else after that. Perhaps he seen he perhaps he himself saw it as an anticlimax. Everything that happened after United. In fact, I'm pretty sure that that's what he told Rodney Marsh at one point. You know that, that he felt that it was an anticlimax. But if you talk to either the fans of the clubs that he went to at the time, or the the players that he played with, they'll remember it as the best time. Um, Tony Gale, for example, Rodney Marsh, who were with him at Fulham, yeah. they just talk of that as the, those were the glory days of Fulham. Do you know, and they've had some great days since they've played in the finals, little Fulham, and yet they've never been entertained like they were when George was there. So you know, it's important to look at it from from those aspects. And you mentioned the goal against San Jose, uh, for San Jose, sorry, against Fort Lauderdale, and that goal was, I think, it was the fourth last of his career. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's a player who's in decline, scoring the the best goal that's been ever seen in the NASL. Um, that's the when people reference the NASL, that's the goal that people look at, isn't it? It's not Pele, it's not Cruyff, it's what um, a, a George Best in terminal decline apparently did um, right at the end of his career. So there were memories like that wherever he went. Um, obviously, some places Stockport and and the Jewish Guild. Um, and Bournemouth for too short of time to to make a, an impact in terms of his playing, but it's still memorable for the time that he spent there because of the controversy that um, came up. But obviously, the clubs like you mentioned, Fulham, even Hibernian, um, they've still got really fond memories of what he did on the pitch as well. Um, it wasn't um, a waste um, of anything after he left United. Actually, you know, it's important that that gets viewed in a different perspective and that's what I've tried to do I mean there's a lot there's a lot in there about those days it's not just one for United fans Did you manage to get a word with Mike Summerby because they were great mates back in the 60s weren't they and used to holiday together and uh, Manchester City and Manchester United they were both fantastic clubs vying for I suppose top dogs in Manchester, but also top in Europe as well. Manchester was was the hub of football back in George's day, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it, it was a difficult one for me to do. Um, but I mean, Mike would have obviously been a good person to talk to. Yeah. But if you look at um, the the number of books that have been written about George and the number of people that have spoke about him, yeah. um, it's, well, a lot of people have written books basically based on their relationship with George. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, I, I tried to sort of 
if if I was going to write a book of this sort of magnitude, this size, I was going to spend my time trolling for less covered ground. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I mean, Mike, I'm not discounting Mike's value as someone who, who was so close to George, but um, there are a lot of people who, who are close, who were close to George, that I didn't contact for that reason. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. They, they've got their own story and they'll tell their own story and, and a lot of them have told their own story. I just wanted to sort of, I had a vision of what I wanted to do with, with the book and, and sort of, I, I cherry-picked a sort of short list of names and thankfully, just about all of them I, I told to. So, um, so, you know, as much as it is great to hear Mike some of these stories of George, sometimes it's good to hear stories of Mike and George together and, yeah. you know, that sort of, for example, Rodney Marsh, I talked to him for the book and sort of um, getting the stories of what it was like to play with George at Fulham, but then the t- Tony Gale talked to me, also talked about what it was like to play with Rodney and George, so that kind of um, balanced it out as well, added a little bit of depth to it. Um, so I just wanted to bring something as different as possible to the table. Absolutely, and uh, they they tackled each other, didn't they? I think was it a game against Hereford <laughs> through memory <laughs> with George and, and Rodney. I mean, they were two of the greatest showmen uh, that that that's graced a football pitch in this country. And of course, both of them played in the NASL. Alan Hudson, did Oddie uh, contribute for this book? I got a few words from him. Yeah, um, I did. Um, very happy to, I think. Um, it was right at the back end of writing it, so I yeah. just managed. I think I managed to squeeze a couple of stories in there uh, from him. Um, but there's one about the goal that um, I think he watched George's goal against Chelsea in a yeah. pub or something. There was a couple of stories in there. So yeah, it's, um, that was a great thing about writing it. Is that you had so many people keen to just. I had people who I didn't even put in the book who I just talked to, you know, just so they could talk to me about their experiences of knowing George, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it was um it's a weird experience because um because it was almost like well it is like that when you write a biography that you feel like you know the person but because people were so affectionate in the way that they spoke about him it was like um it, it was a good experience for me to write it in that in that respect. How difficult was it in terms of you're writing a book about the greatest player on the planet at the time, George Best. Yeah. When you're writing a book of such magnitude about such a player, you just want to give it your absolute all and your best. And you almost, did you almost feel that when you're writing it, is this good enough as I'm writing it? I know it is, but was there any doubt in your mind while you're doing it? Because you want to do him absolute justice, as his name suggested, George was the best. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely right. I've got that fear now. Yeah, you know, out, yeah, and I've got, absolutely got that fear. Um, it, it's one of those things. Um, so I wrote the, the biography of Jimmy Murphy that was published in 2018, and. I've always been, Jimmy Murphy was the assistant to, to Matt Busby and yeah. I've always been of the belief that Jimmy's the most important man in, in Manchester United history. I followed that with a book on Eric Cantona who I believe is the most important player yeah. in Manchester United history. And then the natural progression after that was then to write a book on the best player in, in, in football history who I believe is George. Um, and yeah, from, from day one um, right through to now and possibly right into the future is going to be a case of um, 
of that doubt because first of all you get that with writing anything but secondly you're absolutely right that it's a book of such magnitude about such a player and this is my shot at it that um it's, and that's this is the time that I've taken to take that shot um is it is a, a moment of sort of concern about that but the thing is I've I, I was obviously one of those things where I took care over everything I, I do anyway but a little bit of extra care in, in writing um I was very um scrupulous with a lot of the sort of terminology that I was using in there I was you know careful to sort of set scenes and, and tell stories in there in a different way um obviously being keen to make sure that I get as much feedback as possible from the start you know from before it um was finished and everything like that um I was um very fortunate I, I am very fortunate to know Paddy Barclay um, as you, you mentioned earlier at the podcast that I do with him Paddy for me is the the best living sports writer uh football writer okay. I absolutely love him um, he's magnificent um so his value his opinion is something that I value massively and he's he's been a big um a big sort of supporter of my work in the past and obviously I sent him this and I talked to him for the book as well and he um he called me um probably a couple of weeks ago he he gave a blurb for the book um so obviously he'd read the book a few months ago and so he called me up to sort of give me the blurb um, you know there's a cover quote for it yeah. which is really generous but then he called me again um, a couple of weeks ago. So this is some time passed, and he just just literally called me to reassure me. He said, I've been reading through the George book again, and I honestly think it's your best work. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, so, so I feel confident or reassured, I should say, in that regard, um, that, that it's, it stands up. Do you know what I mean? Um, if Teddy so, Barclay says it's good, it's good because you are <laughs> that guy is an absolute legend as a football writer. I've listened to him an awful lot um, on on Talksport when he's he's been on Talksport. Whenever whenever Paddy's done anything, I've always listened to him. He's so intelligent. His voice is fantastic, and I can listen to Paddy for ages. He's a big Dundee fan, isn't he? He's from up there in Scotland, but he was uh, he, he seemed. He must have a big allegiance with Man United because I was listening to your podcast that you'd done on Munich and it was phenomenal, the attention to detail because, of course, Paddy wrote that book uh, about Samata. It's a book that I have in my library and, uh, as I say, an absolute legend working with someone like that. But George was a clever lad as well. George could have written a book, but he didn't. What he said to me, I've seen George at his best and at his worst when he was playing and and, uh, and some of the goals and some of the stuff that he'd done on the football pitch. And then, sadly, when George was ill in hospital, Alan was one of the few people that was allowed to go and see George. And he said he's like a frightened, frail old man. And Alan said to George, George, you need to sit down and write the book. There's been loads of books written about you, but you need to write a book in your own words. Sadly, George never did that, but he passed his 11 plus and um, he got turned down as a kid by Glenn Torren, didn't he, the team that he supported as a boy? It's too small, um, yeah. apparently. And, the, the, you know, even, you know, the, there's the great story about Bob Bishop saying, sending a telegram to Manchester saying, I found you a genius. Mm-hmm. But even he had to be con- um, convinced that George wasn't too small. Do you know what I mean? So he just... He just goes to show that talent can be missed um, even by the great spotters 
it's funny that you mentioned that he um, about George writing a book. Um, because obviously, he wrote that great autobiography, Blessed, which came out. And um, I actually discovered because the the name of the book is True Genius, yeah. and um, he actually the the working title for his his autobiography, Blessed, was actually Genius, right. and he rejected it because it was too it sounded too. Uh, braggadocious so he was um he didn't like the way that it sounded um and i always felt you know obviously that's a measure of his modesty um but um when you're writing about someone you've got um every right to sort of describe them as you as you like I mean, you can help them as much as you want um and he definitely deserves that title so um so i was i was keen to sort of give him that um even if he wasn't comfortable saying it about himself. But you're absolutely right, because what he says to me, George was the most modest of persons, and Alan Hudson loves that in a person. He loves George's modesty. He said he was a shy guy as well, and and, and a clever yeah. a clever man. He'd always be sitting in the pubs doing the crossword, and they'd go and have a, have a drink together. But he, he was a big fan of Wolverhampton Wanderers as well as a kid, because he loved Peter Broadbent, didn't he? Yeah, he's the colour of the kit as well because I think he he, he saw that he was a gold kit, um, mm-hmm. and so he was a fan of that. Um, and yeah, I think it was the the idea that Wolves were playing. One of the first games that he saw of of Wolves playing was in European football. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. were on the television in his neighbour's house, and I think it was the cosmopolitan. Um, side of the fact that they were playing European football, they were playing against the great teams in the in the world and for someone who lived on an estate in Belfast, um, Manchester felt like it was a million miles away to you know, Will Rampton felt like mm-hmm. it was a million miles away to him. So when when he got the chance to go over there, um I think that sort of played into why he was such a liberated spirit, you know what I mean? Yeah. The fact that he was able to that he felt free and that he was free. And, and you know, it was no coincidence that that sort of played into his uh, playing personality as well. Have you got any favourite uh, game memories of George? Any favourite goals that he scored? Because he made his debut for United against West Bromwich Albion in 1963, age 70, uh, sorry, age 71, <laughs> age 17. The special one really uh, come to our fore, didn't he? Yeah, it's, it's difficult because I think the the beauty of a player like George yeah. is that everyone will have their favourite goal. Sure. Um, I, they, when you write about it, like I have done, um, I've got really nice, like even reading back my own writing, I, I enjoy looking at some of the, the way some of the, the goals have been described. Um, it's probably better to look at it from a different point of view and from from that and then sort of say how how much joy do I get out of what how other people described his goals yeah um, and the the goal that he scored in the European Cup final in 1968 um, a couple of the players who played with him go on record as saying that's the most important goal in United history um, which I really like that because it's, it gives a real emphasis to to um, so the fact that it was really, and that you've got um, club legends speaking like that. But I think this is the favourite, uh, one of my favourite descriptions of uh, one of George's goals is the goal that he scored against Chelsea, the one where Aris tries to yeah. um, maim him and he, he, he keeps his balance and then scores. Because 
Alex Stepney gave a, a great description about it in the book, and I won't spoil it too much, but it was it was kind of like he'd become so good. You see today today's players, they go down so easily, and you know it's all about gamesmanship and, and sort of falling down and conning players and conning your opponent, conning the referee and winning um, penalties and everything like that. But George couldn't afford to do that because um, referees weren't as generous in those days. They weren't lenient. So George had to just find new ways to be better than his opponent. That's what that goal was. It was about George being so far ahead of his opponents and peers that he could he was fast enough to beat the tackle and beat the foul. And it's so difficult to comprehend because you don't see that from players today. But to be able to do that, to have the speed and the intelligence to do that, um, I think that's probably the biggest statement of uh, the biggest compliment you can give him, really, because he just the imagination side of it. Nobody could even come on a, a par with him. You know, some of the things he, he did, he scored from corners deliberately. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. we we could we couldn't get inside George's head. Cause yeah. he, he he did that kind of thing, and it was for him to describe. And obviously, he didn't know how to do it because these were moments of magic. But um, the the moments where you can actually watch the physical side of it, where you see how good he was and you see how quick he was, um, and that, that's just the mastery of the game that um, nobody, nobody in football, and I'm talking Ronaldo, Zidane, Messi, nobody has come close to that. The, the closest you've probably got is Ronaldo and say Maradona, who withheld the, the tackles. Do you know what I mean? They still yep. got up after the tackles. But George was so good that he was quicker than the foul. And um, I think that's really what set him apart. And yeah, so that description of the Chelsea goal from Alex Stepney, um, he's, he's got a really fond place in, in Now that I've told, now that I've written this book and everything like that, and I've, you know, obviously I'd watched all of George's goals before I even started writing the book. So um, I say all of, all of George's goals that are available to be seen. Um, so, so actually going back over them again for the book and getting a different appreciation of them, I think that's um, where I am with that. Is that it's probably the, the Chelsea one that stands out for me. It certainly is the standout goal from Alan Hudson. And Udi says to me, Chopper to this day still thinks that George is going to get down. But George <laughs> just had the greatest, probably the most balanced player that I've ever seen. And on them pitches, they were so heavy as well. I mean... To describe that challenge, it, it was almost an assault. And Chopper Harris tried to buckle George, but he just rode him, kept his balance, and he was just phenomenal. And the reference with Diego Maradona. Maradona in the 86 World Cup finals scored a goal against Belgium where he should have fallen over when he'd scored that goal because he's reeled away and kept his balance because Maradona had that low sense of gravity and was fantastic in, in his balance and, and the way he played football. And George, when he scored that goal against Sheffield United, was very, very similar at Old Trafford. He kept his balance when you're thinking, he's, he's going to fall over here. But just had yeah. such tremendous balance. Yeah, no, you're right. I think, I think two of the things, my favourite passages of my own writing in the, in the book are that um, Sheffield United goal and also the goal is the first goal that no the, first, the second goal that he scored has been Fikarin in '66 because when you watch that one back the, the Benfica one he goes between two players yeah. 
um, and you don't understand where the space has come for him to do that. It's like yeah. a bird dodging buildings. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just incredible to see someone uh, of that slight figure glide that way. Um, it's just incredible, really. That and it is that balance, really, and that sort of the the way that he was. It's particularly that Benfica goal, but the Sheffield United goal is a good example of it as well. That he was playing the game on half, like he's almost like on half speed. Everyone else is like, you know what I mean? They they're just mm-hmm. so far behind him. Um, they're just great examples of of his um, incredible balance, his incredible speed of of body and of thought. Tony Waddington describes football as the working man's ballet, and I don't think there's any greater exponent of that than George Best. It was like watching. Football and ballet was the working man's ballet. It's like poetry in motion. It was ev- he was everything and more. And and George will be talked about for generations to come. And 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 strangely enough, George never ever played in a World Cup finals, where largely these players that play in big games, they're um, they're remembered for winning World Cups, winning major titles. George only done that in England and uh, in Europe when they won the European Cup in '68. Just proves how fantastic George Best actually was yeah no you're right and um, there's going to be those kind of talks um, forever yeah. you know Cruyff Maradona Pelé and it's essentially something that I have talked about in the book because you've got your your own um, take everyone's got their own take on what defines greatness and what element of that is better I mean is it better that Maradona won the title with Napoli and then won the World Cup with um, Argentina. Is it better than that George was the star in a team that had two Ballon d'Or winners and won the European Cup? Do you know what I mean? Um, is it better that, you know, at the age of know, 32 or 30, 30, no, he might have just been 30 or 31 when, um, when Northern Ireland played against Holland and he was that determined to nutmeg Cruyff that yeah. the first thing he did was get the ball and ran across the pitch to purposefully do it. Um, he was a kind of player that um, really, like I said, a kind of player that there wasn't really another kind like him, but um, for him to sort of um, predict what he was going to do and then do it, um, you know what I mean, in a game that's so random as football, to be able to have that kind of manipulation over um, everything um, to make it go the way that he predicted it was going to go, um, is a, a certain level. I mean, genius is is the right word for it because um, how, how can someone manipulate um, a game as random as football? But George did, and he often sort of predicted what he was going to do. It's just um, remarkable. Um, it's that kind of kind of character and that side of him that I don't really think is um, appreciated enough. Absolutely. Didn't he, didn't he want to take his boots off as well? Because George would do mad things like that in a game, wouldn't he? He'd take his boots off, come and get the ball. I mean, yeah. he, he famously headed the ball out of Gordon Banks. Gordon Banks had thrown it up and George went and headed it. But that goal was disallowed, wasn't it? I don't know why, because it was a perfectly legal goal from George against England. Yeah, no, he absolutely, yeah, that's right. That's And that was the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, he would plan that sort of thing in uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's, there's an incident of him taking his foot off. You know, he, he sort of goes to go past someone holding his boot in his hand. It's actually a famous story of um, um, Burnley 65 in the FA Cup. Um, his boot, his left boot came off 
Um, so if you imagine Old Trafford, February 1965, um, it would have been a mud heap. His left boot came off. Um, he tried to run down the wing, but he obviously holding the boot was uh, a pain for him. So he threw the boot into the stand and the fans threw the boot back at him and he actually carried on running. He ca- he got the ball, uh, sorry, he got his boot, but he carried on running with this, he's only got one foot. Um, he'd been over, this is exactly as it happened and, you know, it's incredible that this story's not really been told that often, but I've got it for the book. He, um, He'd been over it in his crosses all afternoon. And because his his boot wasn't on his foot, and this is was it was his left foot, he didn't generate enough power on the cross this time, but it was the perfect um the perfect weight on the cross. Um Dennis Lowe scored a over an overhead kick from that. Um from kickoff, Burnley tried to go down to score again because they saw that George still hadn't got his um boot on. And the referee shouldn't have actually kicked the game off uh, for you know for the restart and yeah. George didn't have his boot on. Uh, and then United cleared it and attacked. George still only had one boot on and set up a goal for Crerin. <laughs> uh, this is like twice within the last ten minutes, saying like within the space of three minutes that he did that. Um, he actually saw the game out only wearing one foot, so uh, one boot. So he played seven or eight minutes without a, without a boot on, and at the end. They were complaining, everyone was complaining that the referee shouldn't have allowed it because George wasn't wearing boots. So even when he wasn't wearing boots, they were complaining that he was too good and they wanted the Unbelievable. But um, that's just an example of the sort of unbelievable stories that you hear about George. Uh, everything that you hear about George is feasible. You know, even if yeah. somebody actually said, do you know what, George Best was... Um, from another planet and they dropped him off and forgot to come back for him I would say do you know what I actually believe that because he was an out of this world talent when's the book coming out um, how can people purchase the book and how can they pre-order it now okay so they've got a few uh, few um, opportunities um, the best place to get it in the UK is obviously Amazon um, they're doing a pre-order price of so- I think it's just under £15. Um, That's April the 8th it comes out. Um, But the the publisher, Reach Sport, are doing a worldwide offer. Um, So the the RRP on the book is £20, but they're doing a a pre-order offer of £15. And the shipping around the world is... um, quite reasonable you know obviously at the moment you've got brexit with which has changed all the sort of shipping regulations so if anyone's listening outside the uk and i I list like the european listeners or even irish listeners in that get on to reach sport um, because they've got um, really good shipping options at the moment um to get the book for as cheap as you're going to get it um and i don't know i think because at the moment the pre-order price is you know £15, it's such a big book, I don't know how long yeah. that, um, the price will be that cheap, so um, get on that while you can, um, yeah, thank you. And how can people engage with you through your social media as well, Wayne, because I'm sure people, uh, fans, lovers of football, no matter what football club you support or you've got your allegiance to, everybody knows George Best and I'm sure that they will want to purchase this book from you and, and link up with you and just say, Wayne, what a great job you've done in writing that book about George. 
<laughs> if they want to tell me that, then that's fine. They can do that. Um, uh, my social media is on, on Twitter and Instagram. It's Wayne S. Barton. Yep. Um, so obviously, if you've got something nice to say about it, please do. But it, if if you don't have something nice to say about it, then I, I'm afraid I'm not on social yeah, media. Just say Gabby Cabby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and finally, what's next? You've written some magnificent books. You're doing podcasts with Paddy. So let's have a shout out how, how fans can engage with your podcast with the great Paddy Barkley and your next project if you've got one on the back burner at the moment. Yeah, um, the stuff with Paddy, um, we've got a Patreon podcast at the moment, but um, all the the, um, United History podcasts, we did a series for radio last year, and all that's available on Apple Podcasts, possibly on on Spotify as well. That's just Barkley and Barton on Manchester United. We did a full series in lockdown on the Premier League. Every season of the Premier League was covered. Um, So that's just Barkley and Barton on the Premier League. We've we've thrown aside my United bias for that one. Paddy's thrown me under the bus a few times about (laughs) um, the the years where we didn't win anything. Um, So, yeah, there's that stuff. Uh, At the moment, I'm actually uh, working on a book um, about Wayne Rooney. Um, So, obviously, with his retirement at the moment, um, I'd actually, I had um, a folder of um, thousands of news clippings um, about Rooney's career because I was going to get around to it one day and it just so happened that um, one day he's here because he's retired and there's no better time to sort of, uh, sort of do a, a full book on his full career um, so that's something I'm working on at the moment I do have a couple of things I've, I've you know there's by the time that this comes out there's going to be um, there's going to be news um, about you know different things that are coming out at the same time um, that I can't sort of mention until you know until someone else mentions it yeah um and then um a book with just about finished that's coming out in um in august is with fabio and rafael da silva um sunshine kids that is um been an incredible thing to work on and it's going to be so different to what the uh what people might expect and finally um if i've not plugged enough there's a one for people who who aren't United fans. Um, I did a a few year ago, a few years ago. Now I did a, a biography. Well, I worked with Gordon Jago, who was the former QPR and Millwall manager. Um, but that was released in the US, and that's being released in the UK in uh, in August as well. So for the first time, so QPR and Millwall fans probably when they, their glory years. Gordon was the manager there, so so that will be coming out as well. Um, so there's plenty of stuff. I just hope that um, it's not oversaturating the market too much. But um, the George one's coming out first, so um, yeah. I absolutely love uh, talking to people about their work. I love listening to their work on on the uh, either Apple Play or Spotify. I'm an absolute podcast nut. That there are some fantastic journalists podcasters out there and uh, it's all about promoting giving a shout out to, to different different people different groups different you know so people can engage with them and listen to their work because that's what I do and I I educate myself by listening to people like you 
on your casts and reading your books. So can I thank you very much for your time, sir. And thank you to all the podcasters out there and all the writers, all the bloggers and all the journalists that I get so much pleasure in either interviewing, reading or listening to. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah. And uh, I echo your thank you as well. I mean, um, having stuff to entertain us is um, what's got us through a difficult year, isn't it? So, um, I, I, I'm no different to, to yourself apart from working. Um, that's the thing that I've been doing, um, le- listening and reading to stuff. So, um, yeah, it's um, yeah, massive thank you to all those people who sort of took the time to do that. It's just um, an incredible gift to give someone, isn't it? Um, sort of <laughs> curing the boredom entertainment is, is great. I think so, because, you know, when you we do watch football these days, I'm going to let you go because United are playing in Europe tonight against AC Milan, and good luck to them. You know, without <laughs> people writing books about players of yesteryear, sadly, some of those memories in time just dissipate and vanish because all you do here on radio these days is Premier League, Premier League, Premier League, and football didn't just start in 1992. Football started in the 1800s, and I think it's fantastic that we can reference and look and read and about our great players because without the history, we have no now and we have no future. So, well done, mate. Yeah, thank you. No, you're right. I agree. Absolutely agree. Top man. Till next time. Cheers, mate. All the best, and thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. Cheers, pal. Bye bye now. Bye bye. Cheers. And thanks for listening, guys. Shout out to you.